me just say one more time, thank you so much for allowing me to share with you these last few weeks. And it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel uh, throughout the Pikes Peak region and, and the Colorado Baptist Convention, throughout 300 plus churches in Colorado. Thank you for partnering together with us in penetrating lostness and making disciples. Uh, again, it's an honor to be here, you know, seeing those babies. Um, my wife, many of you know, is a nurse, and she works at Memorial Central. She works in Mother Baby. Um, and so they say she has the highest risk job in the hospital. Because when the babies are born, the doctor hands her the baby and says, good luck. No, uh, and, and says, make sure everything's working right. You know, So she's the one that has to make sure... And, that everything's happening, the baby's healthy, when to make a call to the respiratory therapist, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's always cool to see the young couples, the young families. Uh, again, I want to say um, you have a great pastor. And you have a great pastoral team, if you didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and I know uh, Chris loves you and he cares about you. It's, I've had the privilege of getting to know Chris over the years he's been here. Um, this morning, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to get to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, but I want to challenge us a little bit this morning. Would you agree that your life will take turns that don't make sense in the moment? Yeah, somebody. Okay, good. All right. We, yeah, we've all had those situations where something happens and we ask God, you want me to do what? I don't I have. I've had that many, many times. God will challenge me, give me an impression, maybe through a song, through a scripture verse, uh, through a, a prayer time, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart and mind. And he'll, he'll, he'll give me a thought and I'm going, I think you got the wrong guy. I think Jay would be much better at that. Uh, you want me to do what? But often when God does this, He doesn't tell us why. Now, for the sake of transparency, I wish there were more why verses. Thou shalt, and here's why. I, I want to I know. I was a kid in school going, why? 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 I'm the one that drove everybody crazy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And Why? You know, turn the other cheek. Why? Take up your cross. Why do I need to do that? And maybe you're here this morning. In fact, something has drawn you this morning, coaxed you here. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know why I'm supposed to be here. And as we move closer to God, we often ask, why? For instance, you want me to apologize? I don't think so. They need to apologize to me. God, you want me to do what? You want me to forgive them after what they did? No, no, no. They need to come and ask me for forgiveness. That's what needs to happen. You want me to be ethical in an unethical business? Oftentimes as we evaluate our circumstances and we compare them to God's Word, we're faced with a dilemma. And often it doesn't make sense. And God doesn't tell us why. He just doesn't. How many of you uh, saw the movie or maybe read the book, The Hunt for Red October? Great movie. Um, it's a, a story about a Russian submarine captain named Ramius. And he's played by Sean Connery. It's always intriguing to me 
that a Russian has an English accent. Uh, but, you know, you get over it in about five minutes. Except when you try to read the book after you saw the movie. I kept hearing his voice. I had to put the book away. It just wasn't working for me. So it's the story of this Russian submarine commander who's going to defect to the United States. It's, it's based, uh, set in 1984 during the Cold War. And uh, not only is he going to defect, but he's going to bring a Russian submarine along with him. The American intelligence is thinking, this is a pretty cool deal, right? So they were, they're able to get the Russian uh, crew off the submarine, uh, and it's only Ramius and a couple of his trusted officers, and then they sneak in four or five American submariners along with Jack Ryan, who's kind of one of the stars of the, of the, of the show, or the, the movie and the book. And so they're trying to figure out how to get this submarine now into American waters where they can then take it apart. Well, as they're doing that, all of a sudden the sonar operator says, Torpedo launched! One of the other Russian submarines has gotten close enough to the Red October to send a torpedo, torpedo and blow it up. Because the orders are destroy that thing before the Americans get their hands on it. And so Ramius gives the uh, helmsman direction. And he changes course. And he changes course so the submarine is right in the exact same path going towards the torpedo. Now the helmsman doesn't quite say, you want me to do what? But I think he thought about it. And so there's a little bit of discussion that takes place and finally they do it. And he tells the helmsman to speed up the submarine. And so there's this discussion going on and, and one of them says, is he trying to kill us and, and him at the same time? And so the sonar operator says, 20 seconds to impact. And then it's 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And the torpedo hits the submarine. Do you remember what happens? The torpedo falls apart. It breaks into a thousand pieces. And the American subcommander, when Jim Ryan, or Jack Ryan says, why did that happen? The American subcommander said, it's called combat tactics. He closed the gap between the submarine and the torpedo before the torpedo could arm itself. Perhaps in life, you've had that same feeling when God has challenged you to do something, to go straight into the path of the torpedo, and you think, you want me to do what? Maybe you're here this morning, and you sense God inviting you and pursuing you in the person of Jesus to become a Christ follower. And you're thinking, you want me to do what? I know some Christians. I know. <laughs> I want to do that. But maybe you sense God's Spirit saying that to you. There's a hole in your soul and a hunger in your heart. And you need to head right into that torpedo. Or maybe you're here and God has put on your heart the need to start giving of your resources. Maybe start tithing as the Bible tells us to. That's, that's an area of conflict or tension you have with God. Or maybe it's time. Maybe time is your big issue and serving God uh, is, is a big challenge for you. And maybe God is inviting you this morning to begin to do something in addition to what you're already doing. Here's the question. There in the outline in the bulletin, here's the question. Why is this important and how does it relate to me? Well, in the process of obeying God, when it doesn't make sense, which, by the way, happens a lot, it just does, we learn to trust Him. 
we learn to grow our faith and to realize He really wants the best for us. And sometimes the unexpected actually happens. You see, when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, when we step out and obey God, God shows up. He shows up. And when that happens, we never wonder about it. We don't think, oh, gee, did I make the right decision? Or we, you know, boy, that just seemed to work out okay. No, we know God showed up in that moment. And we walk away thinking, wow, how in the world did that take place? The God of the universe has plopped down into my little itty-bitty life. And you walk away knowing God in a more intimate way. So our Heavenly Father sent Jesus into this world to die for our sins. Not just so we would all obey, but you know what? So we would have an intimate love relationship with Him. And the currency of relationship is trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So from time to time, as a Christ follower, and as we walk with Christ through life, or perhaps as you're here today walking toward Christ, God will call on us to do things that don't make a lot of sense. Think You want us to do what? Now sometimes, sometimes, it's not that we're unwilling. Sometimes what He asks us to do, I just don't have the ability to do. I don't have the resources to pull it off. Sometimes there's a legitimate reason why this is going to be a challenge. It's beyond me. I don't know how to do that. And God will often approach us with an opportunity and an assignment. And He'll say, go do it. And our natural tendency is to look around at what we have, look at our skill set, look at our abilities, our experiences, and say, hmm, you got the wrong guy. I, can't, I don't know how to do this. I'm willing, but I can't. I don't have the resources to pull this off. This is beyond me. You know it when God is prompting you to get outside of your comfort zone into the zone of the unknown. He's going to push you into that arena. It may be for you a relationship. It may be for you, as I mentioned last week, to go across the street to engage a neighbor. It may be for you to engage a work associate. How are we to respond when God nudges us out of our zone of the unknown to, and we say, you want me to do what? Now, I can guarantee you this. Every one of you in this room, either you've been where we're talking about, or you're in it right now, or you will be in it. Trust me. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. So the question, what does the Bible say about this? Take your Bibles in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at two different stories in Matthew 14. We're going to look at how Jesus fed the 5,000 and how Jesus walked on water. And we're going to connect those stories. You may not realize it, but they're connected. Jesus connected these two situations. Jesus was trying to teach the disciples what to do, teach us what to do, when we're given an impossible task. And He illustrates it with a life moment. And then He tests them to find out if they really learned what they supposedly learned from the teaching. Okay, you got that? So Jesus says, here's what you do when you're called to do the impossible. And now I'm going to test you to see if you can apply that lesson to a new scenario. Matthew chapter 14, or yeah, Matthew 14, verse 15. As the evening approached, the disciples came to Him and said, 
this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now I have a feeling at this point there's kind of a, a pause in those verses. If I'm one of those guys, I'm thinking, you want me to do what? Um, sure, sure, we can do that. I have no idea how, but okay. Jesus sets up an impossible task. Feed these 5,000 men and the women and the children. You want me to do what? Now, in verse 17, they actually do something smart. We have here only five loaves, or, or, five loaves of bread and two fish. So in other words, they bring to Jesus, here's what we have, right? We're not saying no, we're saying here's what we've got. This is it. We're willing, but our resources are pretty inadequate. We're not saying no, we're just saying we can't. Now Jesus has them exactly where He wants them to teach them this life lesson. And He begins to unfold it. Verse 18, bring them here to Me, He says. Bring to me what you have. Verse 19, He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and He broke the loaves. Then He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketful of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. Okay, you got the picture? Jesus knows they can't do it. <laughs> He knows they can't do it. And He says, give to Me what you have and watch a miracle. Jesus prays. The food is multiplied. They distribute the food. Jesus supernaturally fed the people and the fish were multiplied. Now here's the point. The point is, everyone was satisfied. That's what it says. Every one of them were satisfied. Now, I have a feeling at this point, the disciples get together and they're thinking, wow, did He feed them? Did we feed them? Did we, He feed How did that happen? We just gave to Him and then He multiplied it and look, we got all this left over. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And they're trying to figure it out. Verse 22, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him on the other side while He dismissed the crowd. Immediately, Jesus connects the dots. He said, okay, I've given you guys a test. You've sort of passed it. You saw me do something impossible when you were faced with an impossible situation. Now let's see if you can figure it out from there. So, the disciples, they're still trying to figure it out. He tells them immediately, go get in the boat, go across the lake. Well, half these guys have been across this lake numerous times. The Sea of Galilee is anywhere from six to eight miles across, depending on what section you're in. And so they get in the boat and they start rowing. No problem. We got this. We've done this our whole life. We can do this. And so they start rowing. Verse 23. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So these guys are rowing, and the harder they row, the harder the wind blows against them. They can't get across the lake. Now they think they can. So they've done this. This is not a problem. Jesus said, go across 
across the lake, by gosh, by golly, we're going to do that. We're going to go. But the wind won't let them. Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, so it's pitch black, by the way, right now. I've been on the Sea of Galilee at night, and it is black. It's just, oh, dark 30. I mean, it's just dark. And it's probably between 3 and 6 a.m. for them right now. They've been rowing for hours. And I love what Mark says over in Mark chapter, chapter 6. Mark gives us an interesting detail. These guys are out there rowing against the wind, doing everything they can, doing all, all their strength, using all their skill sets. And in Mark chapter 6, it says in verse 48, Jesus, He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, He went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Huh. Picture that. These guys are rowing. Jesus is just taking a stroll. How you doing? You know, he's about ready to walk past them. He's making better time than they are. Right? And then it says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a gross. They cried out because they saw him. They were terrified. They're thinking the theme to Jaws. You know, they're, holy smokes, what is going on? They're scared to death. But we're going to row the boat because he told us to row the boat. They, what's interesting to me is Jesus shows up and they were freaked out. Why? They weren't expecting him. Has that happened to you? I know it's happened to me. I wasn't expecting Jesus to show up and then he does. He shows up and they're surprised. Back in Matthew 14, verse 26. When the disciples saw Him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now here they have another life moment. Here they have another powerful image of who Jesus is and what He wants to do in their lives. At that moment, it suddenly hits one of the disciples, and he connects the dots. And it's a guy named Peter. Now, we're pretty hard on Peter. But he's the only one in this moment who gets it. He must have thought to himself, okay, Jesus told us to feed all these people. We can't do it. So we give to Jesus what, he ha what we have. He takes it. He gives it back. It's multiplied. And everyone gets fed and they're satisfied. Now, Jesus tells us to get into a boat, which, oh, by the way, I'm pretty familiar with because I'm a fisherman. And He tells us to go across the lake. We think we can, but He knows we can't. We're not capable to do what Jesus has called us to do. So He puts two and two together. Verse 28. Lord, Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. In other words, Jesus, if it's really you, I'm going to... Tell me to do something impossible. I see you walking in the water. I've never done that. What did, what did Peter know about walking on water? Zero. He knew how to walk, and he knew how to get out of a boat without submerging. That's about it. So he says, tell me to come to you on the water. Ask me to do something impossible. Call me out to do something you know I don't have the resources or the abilities to do. Verse 29, Jesus, one word, come. So here's the principle. 
When God calls us to do something, when God makes His will known to you and to me, once we know it's the call of God, we can rest assured that we will be provided the resources and the power of God to accomplish it. God will never ask you, He will never ask me to do something without the necessary resources. The call of God is always accompanied by the power of God. We need to remember what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. Peter put together. God's call in our lives nudges us outside of our comfort zone. In other words, He gets us out of our boat. And along with that calling, God always provides the resources and the power to accomplish what He has called us to do. Now, He doesn't always provide the resources and the power to do what we want to do. Make sure you make that distinction. What He's called us to do. What did, Peter knew nothing about walking on water. But he knew how to get out of a boat, and he knew how to walk. And Peter discovered in that life moment, and what Jesus is constantly communicating with all of us in this room, when God is calling us to do something, He waits for us to do what we know to do, and then God does only what He can do. How many of you have ever walked on water? Okay, then quit giving Peter such a hard time. Yeah, he sinks. We get that. But it says he walked. To me, that means at least two steps. None of us in this room have done that. So let's give Peter a little bit of credit here. He did something none of us have ever done. But here's the problem. The older we get, the more successful we get, the more stuff we have, we don't want to get out of the boat. When we're out there on the water and Jesus comes walking by, we invite Jesus to get in our boat. We just remodeled it last year. You know, we've got new plumbing. It's all good. Our kids are happy. Our, our spouse is happy. Career's going good. No, Jesus, those are their waves out there and storm. You need to come and get in our boat when Jesus invites us to get out of the boat. So, what am I going to do with what the Bible says? What are we going to do this morning with what the Bible has taught us? Every once in a while in life, in my life, in your life, our Heavenly Father is going to say something like this. We're going to do things differently. I'm going to take you relationally where you've never been before. I want to use you in ways that you've never imagined. I just invite you to swing your legs over the edge of the boat and get out of the boat. God's call is always accompanied by God's resources. We need to move into the zone of the unknown. When our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, things will be different. You will know God in a whole new way. This world is different than it was 30, 40 years ago. Right? This morning I brought this box with me. See if I can do it without hurting my back. Okay. This is an old file box. Fifteen years ago, when I moved into this role as your regional director, I was pastoring a church for 21 years. And so I had to pack all my stuff up. 21 years in one office. When I came to this box, I realized I changed from being a mover 
to an archaeologist. This box is from my college and seminary days. When I went to college and seminary, long time ago. When I opened up this box, I found some things today we don't even use anymore. How many of you remember the blue book? Some, two of you admit it. It's good. The blue book. We took tests in. Yeah, I found the one I got an A on, so that's why I'm holding that one up. I went through them all. How about carbon paper? Yeah, more of you remember carbon paper. Right? The young, your younger adults are going, what is that? Is that like carbon dating? No, this is actually something, believe it or not, we use to make copies of stuff. Uh, remember uh, when, you, when you type a paper, and if you had a mistake, you used that correct-it tape? It was in the box. But when I picked it up, it crumbled. So it's kind of in the bottom of the box. My Greek flashcards are in here. They really are. How about onion skin typing paper? Remember that? I have a paper right here. Onion skin typing paper. If we had more than one mistake, Jay, at seminary, we had to do the whole paper. Remember that? And we thought we were cool. We had an electronic typewriter. Some of you are going, what is a typewriter? You know, it's kind of like my kids. I, I, I said one time, I said, uh, they were explaining a, a person to me, and I said, oh, so they're... Um, they got they got a um, oh I forgot that okay um, they got a screw loose and they said what I said yeah they got a screw loose I'd explain it to them when I did they said oh they got a bad chip <laughs> right it's the same idea but okay and then this is going to get some of you mimeograph test you, how many of you smelled these let's have confession. Okay, that killed brain cells, which is really a dumb thing to do before you take a test. But we all did it. In fact, I volunteered to go to the workroom and do the mimeograph thing. I came back into class really happy, which did not help my scores whatsoever. What's interesting to me is, and I actually have a little card file thing in here, one of these little things, and all sorts of stuff. So, now, the truth in these files is true. The theology, uh, the content, the education part of it, they're as true today as they were then. That truth is still solid. How we communicate that truth, though, has changed. So in essence, we need to close the box. Some of us need to get out of the box. We're still caught up in the box. Now again, the truth is real. Hear me. But how we deliver it has changed dramatically. We have people watching online. So perhaps today, God might be nudging you to get out of the boat and get out of your box. So we can be more effective communicating the greatest News on earth. The Gospel. Anytime 
a group of people, call themselves a church. And that group of people is not trying to accomplish something that requires the power of God. Why should God show up? Most of the churches in America today do not require the power of God to do church. That's why the churches in America are dying. That's why we haven't experienced a revival. Did you know we have never experienced a revival in the front range of Colorado? Never. Because it's so easy just to do what we do and not get out of the box and not get out of the boat. The power of God is only present when the power of God is needed. So I want to challenge each of us this morning to get out of the boat. Yeah, you may think, you want me to do what? Do the impossible. Watch God show up. It's going to happen in your life. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you already have stories like I do of how God showed up. I was coming out of the drug culture. I was coming out of a dysfunctional, abusive family. And Jesus Christ pursued me. I was telling somebody after the first service, I was so insecure and so angry as a teenager that I couldn't talk to anybody. My wife and I were talking literally yesterday about how she was the outgoing one when we first started dating because I, I, was, a, I was so insecure until Jesus got a hold of my life. And then he can't shut me up. <laughs> Maybe you're here this morning, and this could be an opportunity for you to get out of the boat spiritually. Perhaps you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That might be the very first life moment you need to embrace today. Trusting Christ with your life. Maybe you go, Bill, you don't know what I've done. Trust me. What I did was really bad. It was really bad. I don't have time to go into that whole story. It was really bad. But Jesus loved me and pursued me. And He's loving you and He's pursuing you right now. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You may go, you want me to do what? Yes. Jesus is inviting you today to have an intimate love relationship with Him. A personal relationship. You need to take a step of faith. You need to say yes to that. In a few moments, in fact, Jay, you guys come on up. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of response. And in, in the back will be a couple of the leaders from the church. And if you're here this morning, you've never said yes to Jesus. And, and you may really be thinking, you want me to do what? Yeah, Jesus wants you to begin a relationship with Him. Jesus wants you to know His peace and His forgiveness and His joy. And you can know that today. When we start singing, I'm going to invite you to step out and go back to the back and talk to these people that are back there who will show you how to do that. That's the greatest life moment you could ever have. If you're here and God's challenging you in some area of your life, take this time and just prayerfully consider, God, what is it you want me to do that I've been putting off or I've been afraid to do because you don't trust Him enough? Let me pray for you.